So we know in the book of Judges there's a cycle where God's people rebel against God, they worship false gods, they get oppressed by being given over to their enemies, and then they cry out for deliverance. God gives them deliverance. He raises up a judge, and that judge delivers them, and they have a revival, and then another generation comes along, and they repeat this cycle. So sin, failure, restoration, revival, and, and this is the cycle. The book of Judges from about 1500 B.C. to about 1100 B.C. So it's a pretty good chunk of time in that Jewish covenant that God had with Israel in the Old Testament, about 400 years. And so we're getting into that now. We're getting traction on it. So we left off with Ehud uh, two Saturdays ago as that judge. We looked at those first three judges, uh, Othniel, Shamgar, and Ehud. And so now we're getting to Deborah, who is the fourth judge. So she had the victory. So the victory wasn't going to come through a man. But God called Barak to lead Israel in combat against uh, the general Sisera, who was under the, the Midianite king Jabin. And Back in the book of Judges, we saw that the people were afraid to go get all their inheritance because the Canaanites in the land had chariots, iron chariots. And that was an issue in the book of Judges, excuse me, in the book of Joshua. And here tonight, coming forward from chapter 4 in uh, review and into chapter 5, the song, what happened was, is Sisera came out with all of his chariots, 900 chariots. At that time, the Israelites had no weapons at all. They'd been completely disarmed by the government. They had no weapons of defense and yet, the call went out for Barak to rally the tribes of the north against the Midianites and Sisera. And that's what they did. And they came to the place, which is, interestingly enough, Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo, where the end of the world is going, as we know it, human, humanity and human history, as we know it, is going to come to an end at Megiddo with the Valley of Armageddon when Jesus Christ comes back from heaven with the saints of all generations to establish his kingdom on earth. That's going to happen. It's, it's very clearly defined for us in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament. So this is where that happens. This happens in the same place before it's going to happen in our timeline. It happened here. And I don't really know of any other battles off the top of my head that happened in Megiddo, the Valley of Megiddo. I've been to the Valley of Megiddo many years ago, and I've seen it. And it's so profound. I think there's a place of real estate on planet Earth where Jesus is coming back when the world is in rebellion against him the kings of the earth, all that Ezekiel, all the stuff, if you know the, the text, it's all there. And so this happens at the same place. So there God gave this supernatural victory to Barak and these soldiers that made themselves available from the northern tribes. And they, they defeated Sisera. And Sisera fled. And interestingly enough, he left his chariot, these mighty chariots that were so terrifying. He got off his chariot, went and fled, and went in the tent. And there, um, you know, the, the <laughs> Jael, the wife of Heber, she put the, the peg he, she gave him rest, and then she took a pagan who was asleep and drove it through his temple. It was very descriptive, and she killed him. And she got the glory because Deborah had said to Barak, you're not going to get the glory. The glory is going to go to a woman and to God. And if you know the story, that's a brief overview to just keep us going forward to understand the context of the song of Deborah. So the victory was prophesied through Deborah. Barak led the troops. Deborah was there because he said, if you don't go, I'm not going. She was there. God created supernatural events. It looks like a storm and a flood and all these things. The chariots didn't work. Sisera flees, and he's struck down by a woman in the tent. And then Barak comes upon the scene, and he's dead. And it's a total victory. And the last part of chapter 4 says that the Canaanites got weaker and weaker, and Israel got stronger and stronger. And eventually, Jabin, the king of the Midianites, the Canaanites at that time, was subdued by Israel. So God had total victory through Deborah. That's the key. 
total victory, all glory to God, through Deborah for the nation of Israel at that time. And that's our background to the song of Deborah. And as we pick it up tonight in chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Then Deborah embarked the son of Bedom, saying on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured out. The mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along by the wayside. By the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was a war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offer themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. And speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, sing a song. Also, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinadom. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those who, whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Micar, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there was great resolve of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the piping for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searching, searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardize their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of the Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, the galloping of his steeds. Curse Mezra, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He, that is Sisera, asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched out her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not dividing this finding and dividing the spoil? To every man a girl or two. For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments, embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus let your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. And so the land had rest 40 years. So Deborah's song is verse 2 through 31, accompanied by Barak in the singing of the song as it's attributed to both of them with this song. What I find just interesting historically with this song is that 
you have like the book of Psalms with so many, 150 songs, Psalms is a song, and 150 songs in the book of Psalms, most of them written by David, and you have times when women speak in the Bible. You have like Esther, and you have Mary, the song of Mary in Luke chapter 2 is incredible. It's, it's in fact, it's very highly esteemed by the Catholic Church to say the least. You have these incredible portions of the Bible where women are speaking or women are doing something profound. But what gets me about this is this is like a whole chapter in the Bible that's an inspired song of a woman, a woman of God, by the Holy Spirit, singing about the victories of God for the people of God. And we've got to remind ourselves, lest we be confused, not that you would be here at Worship Generation, but liberals, Christians, which is, those two words together are very strange, but they believe the Bible is men speaking about God. So they don't see it as the inspired word of God. They see it as a book that you can read cute little snippets or whatever and be inspired by the Sermon on the Mount and Psalm 23, but they don't see it as the living word of God, the full authoritative word of God. They don't see it as God speaking through holy men. They see it as just people talking about God. So you might as well buy Zig Ziglar's book, Think and Grow Rich, to put it on the same level. Because that's just someone thinking about how God would make someone rich or something. Or think and grow rich. Like, or looking out for number one. Like, that's, that's how, when you're, because I know, because my grandparents came from a liberal, they were liberal congregationalists. They came from conservative churches originally. My grandfather, Fred, and my grandmother, Esther. But when they got to Madison, they got their minds poisoned by liberal theology there in Madison, and it poisoned their minds their entire journey, and it affects my dad even to this day. See, like, that's the danger. Like, they would do good works, but they would look at the Bible like, oh, this is, this is cute, this is inspiring, like reading a good book, like a good book would inspire you, like chicken soup for the soul. But that's not what this is. This is the living word of God, and we believe, as my grandfather used to call us fundamentalist, like Billy Graham, or we'd use the term evangelical now in our day, we believe that holy men of God spoke as they are moved by the Holy Spirit. So I don't believe the song of Deborah is a cute little song by a woman who's really excited about victory that God gave her. I believe that the song of Deborah is the Holy Spirit speaking through a woman inspired word of God. Because that's what it is. For all scriptures inspired by God and is profitable. So holy men and holy women spoke of God, spoke about God as they're moved by God. So Deborah's not some sweet, godly, saintly woman writing a cute song that we can think is cute and inspiring. This is the word of God through a woman. And to me, what's profound about it, she's a prophetess. There's only four women called prophetesses in the Bible, and she's one of them, so that gets our attention. But she's singing a song. This is a woman singing a song about God's victory in her timeline where she was the mother of Israel, the wife of her husband, a judge of Israel, and a prophetess. Which makes it very profound and very unique in the scriptures, like I say, comparable to Mary's song. So I really want to frame tonight in the topic of the Song of Deborah by making sure we really understand, like, just we don't think, oh, that's really cool, this woman wrote this song, like Brooke Young writing a song for Hillsong. No, this is the word of God. And what she's seen about most of all is when leaders lead. That's the first stanza of the song. Like, oh God, how great thou art, or something. It's like she starts off with when leaders lead in Israel. That's, that's what she wants to say. The song starts out with when leaders lead in Israel. 
And she implies that when leaders lead in Israel, then the people willingly offer themselves. So when there's great leadership, which there was not in her time, she was the great leader, there's no great men leading, that's for sure. Bark wouldn't even lead without her leading him. He needed a mommy to go to war. He wanted his mommy, because she's the mother of Israel, to go to war. Then he's like, I'm not going if you're not going. But her prophetic words to him inspired him. Her prophetic words to Israel inspired them. And in the latter part of the song, we see how all these northern tribes did respond favorably, most of them. She has a reproof for those who didn't. But the, the foundation of the song is when leaders lead, when spiritual leaders lead. And we can take that context for men, and we can certainly take it for women, because she's the leader in this whole story of these two chapters. When leaders lead in Israel when the people willingly offer themselves. So good leadership will help inspire good actions from the people of God. So strong godly leadership will inspire godly people to action. John Corson said to me years ago, many years ago, in a personal time of being out to breakfast with him in Applegate, Oregon, in Medford, Oregon, he said to me, Joey, the church congregation never rises above the spiritual temperament of the pastor, rarely. In other words, the, the leadership of a church and their passion for the Lord, their heart for the Lord, in the secret and the quiet place like we saw in Sermon on the Mount, you know, when you pray in secret, when you fast in secret, when you give in secret, it sets the tone. And rarely will a congregation rise above the leadership. It tends to follow the leadership. And I remember many years ago in Virginia Beach, George Bryson was visiting us one time, and the, the congregation in Virginia Beach, Calvary Chapel, Hampton Roads, like, he really enjoyed chatting with them and loving them. And I said, they're, you know, they're wonderful people. We love being their pastor and leading them. And he said, well, they're a reflection of you. And so he was saying what John Corson had said to me just a few years prior to that. And when people come to Worship Generation, uh, for better or for worse, we're all a reflection of the leadership here at this church. It's true. And that's just the way it is. Your kids are a reflection of your leadership, Right? When they go away to college, make good decisions. And they might make bad decisions even if you raise them well, so that's not on you. But if you didn't, if you had a low spiritual temperament, they'll generally go away to college and they'll lower that spiritual temperament from what you were. So you set the bar high. Not legalistically, but you set the bar high because your bar t- tends to set the tone in the home and for leadership in a church the same. The spiritual leadership is very important and it's the key to everything really. And when there's good, strong spiritual leadership in the ministry, in the pulpit, or in a movement, it holds it together. But when it becomes fragmented, like it did in the Calvary Chapel movement, it gets fragmented. There's just, it's like the Book of Judges. Calvary Chapel movement went through like the Book of Judges. Like Pastor Chuck was a strong, firm leader and held it together. And when Pastor Chuck stepped into eternity, it just became fragmented. Not blaming any one group of people or any one individual. It just became, you just didn't, we just haven't had the same type of leadership in the Calvary Chapel movement since Pastor Chuck's after eternity, and who could even fill his shoes anyways? When Billy Graham stepped into eternity, have we had any, you know, they tried to say Rick Warren was America's pastor. They tried to say Joel Osteen's America's pastor. They tried to say Greg Glory's America's pastor. Do you think any of those three is equal to Billy Graham and what he did for the nation of America for 60 years? Of course not. And that's not fair to Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, or Greg Glory. It's just... There's never anyone like the voice of Billy Graham to minister to all those presidents and lead a country through two generations. Post-World War II, the Vietnam War, Korean War, Vietnam War, right up to Persian Gulf War. Like, 
So we understand this. And what we've been saying that we want to learn from this book as a church, that each one of us would look at the book of Judges and say, there's not much I can do about things that are out of my control except pray for them. And there's a lot that's out of our control, but we can aspire to be like the judges. We can aspire to be like Othniel and Deborah. Because, see, there's always those people that are godly leaders in dark times that are an example in the home, in the workplace, and in society, in the community, and in the church. So for us, over and over, as we go through Judges, as we move toward Christmas, we're going to continue looking like, we want to be like Deborah. We want to be like Barak. You know, like, we want to be people that rose to the occasion and had every excuse not to go to war. We have no weapons. They have iron chariots. But we're inspired by the prophetic word through a prophetess like Deborah. We're inspired because God's confirming it. And we rise up and we do what we're called to do, not because it's popular, acceptable, or free from conflict and various other things, but because it's the right thing to do. Because the people of covenant, that's the church of Jesus Christ, always needs godly leadership. Your house needs godly leadership. The church needs godly leadership. The Calvary movement needs godly leadership. All Christian movements need godly leadership. We need godly leadership. And so when we look at like Deborah and her song, we say we want to apply, we want to be the good things that she's singing about in this song. And she starts with when leaders lead in Israel. There is a great need and priority for godly leadership in the body of Christ. And would to God that he'd look at our lives and we'd make ourselves available, like Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. We'd make ourselves available, even like we're going to see with Gideon. The angel comes to him, probably Jesus, the angel of the Lord, and he says, oh, I'm the least, my, my tribe's the least of the 12 tribes, my family's the least of the families in the tribe, and I'm the least of my family. He basically said, I am the least important person on planet Earth in the covenant of God, and yet the angel of the Lord came to him. And it wasn't about his ability, but his availability. And that's what we're going to find with Gideon in the next few weeks when we look at him. And here, when leaders lead in Israel, it's so easy to fall into compromise. It's so easy to go with the flow, avoid conflict, and capitulate various things that we feel led to give up. And just not, no one wants to be canceled. No one wants to be woked. You know, like we just, we just want, I mean, really, because the Bible says we aspire to live a quiet, peaceful life. It's up to us. That's really what we want to do. But, you know, when the Nazis are rolling through Europe, there's not much you can do about that. When they make good hiding Jews against the law, then that's the way it's going to be. So for Corey ten Boom and the Christians in the Dutch underground, all that they did, they, that was against the law. And this is something that goes on in human history in every generation. Just because something is the law doesn't make it right. Evil men make laws that are bad. Ask the people that grew up during the Soviet Union under Lenin, then well, Trotsky by his side, and then Stalin. Or Ceausescu in Romania. Pastor Sam's family and extended relatives, what they went through. So we realize there's always going to be a great need for godly leadership in the church of Jesus Christ in every generation to make themselves available, to be led of the Lord. We've, we've talked about this already in Judges and even back in Joshua, but to be led of the Lord so we can lead for the Lord. But really, it's the availability. So Deborah starts off the song with, when leaders lead in Israel, when there's good leadership, the people, will you can inspire and, and, and raise them up. You can lead them. So when we're indifferent, we're going to tend to reproduce indifference and callousness in our lives. But if we're sharp, we're crisp, 
and the things that are important to us, they'll, that are important to the Lord, it'll tend to elevate and inspire the people. Like if we, have, if we in our workplace have high character and morals on how we treat people, how we treat our customers, and how we serve our customers, and whatnot, it's going to inspire our coworkers to treat them the same way. But if we are disrespectful to our customers behind their back and we don't esteem them and we don't value them, it's just gonna, it's just gonna dumb down from the top. So great organizations have great leaders. So I talked about when I went to Joe Gibbs Racing three years ago, the Christian, you know, the famous football coach Joe Gibbs and then he, his NASCAR business, Joe Gibbs Racing, super successful in two completely different fields of life with 600 employees, when I spent three days there, I was just amazed. It's, it's almost like when um, the Queen of Sheba was with the House of Solomon. She goes, how blessed are your servants and those who are with you and the God you serve. And, I, and half of what I heard isn't even equal to fully what is true about you. And when I was at Joe Gibbs Racing, because he's always been an, an inspiration to me as a Christian man, when he won the Super Bowl, he gave Jesus Christ the glory. When he won the Daytona 500, he gave Jesus Christ the glory. I was very excited to go back there as an Olympic surfing coach at the time. But I, I saw the millennials, you know, training in uh, the pit crew, like, the, you know, 12 seconds, changing the tires. I, I saw everything. I saw how they built all the cars for their four race teams every Monday. They're building the cars. I saw how they honored success because one of those guys had just won the NASCAR race the week before. So they stopped. All the employees came in, 600 employees, to put the banner on the wall like you see at your high school gym when you win CIF. And everyone gets the credit and everyone gets a, ra- everyone gets a bonus. When they, any one of their four riders win a ride for NASCAR, they all get a bonus. It goes in their paycheck. 600 employees, this, the 17-year-old millennial with the gun, the little uh, lug nut gun, everyone gets it. So it's all, and it's like, but Joe Gibbs is a man of character and a man of integrity. I've got his book in my library. It's all about Jesus. And you see, it's like when you're living in Abraham, when you work for Abraham with hundreds of employees for Abraham, Father Abraham, he's circumcised. If you work for him, guess what? You're circumcised too. You may not serve his God, but you identify with his God when you go to work. His God is over that workplace. And Jesus Christ is Lord of Joe Gibbs Racing. And everything about it was pristine and professional, how everyone carried themselves. When I was there, we were studying successful cultures. That's what we were doing with the youth Olympic team. But we weren't, we weren't studying BMW or women's field hockey in England, which we also studied. We were studying a Christian man whose legacy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything he does, he does to the glory of Jesus Christ. This is what we're talking about. When leaders lead in Israel, when we lead and how we treat our customers, how we treat complaining people, how we treat difficult people, how we do our job, do we do it as unto the Lord? Do we check our work? Do the people who work for us check their work? You see, like, it's all from the top. It's leadership. She is singing about godly leadership, inspiring all the people following it, that, and, then, and then she said, bless the Lord. Yeah, because when there's godly leaders leading, it's good for everybody. And the people can be inspired. They offer themselves to follow that lead. So bless the Lord. God is glorified. And then she said in verse 3 that hear, O kings, O princes. Those are the most powerful people in the world in her timeline. Uh, so we might say, hear, O Twitter and Facebook and you people that you know build Tesla and these things. Hear, O people, mighty people who silence and who cancel or make or break hero you i even i will sing to the lord i will sing praise to the lord god of israel see what she's saying like all you people with your 900 chariots yeah whatever when godly leaders lead and the people willingly follow 
we're going to sing praises to the Lord. See how this applies to the church right now in 2021? It's not about iron chariots. It's not about not having any weaponry in the house of God, if you will, because you were all completely disarmed. It was about their faith. It was about their conviction. It was about believing the word of God and acting upon the word of God and contending for the things of God like we studied a few weeks ago with Ehud. So we praise the Lord for godly leaders and we'd like to praise the Lord for even more godly leaders in the future. And of course, Jesus is our chief shepherd of the church, but God has throughout history given in the Old Testament, godly leaders like David and Josiah and Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat and people like that, Queen Esther, and we just have to ask ourselves, can I be the next godly leader? Like, of course you can, especially to the young people here tonight. Don't you want to be the next godly leader? Someone's going to lead this generation 30 years from now if the Lord tarries. They're, they're going to need to be led, just like my generation needs to be led. So, purpose now, and lead now, and if you get canceled now, you know, the funny thing, the world will cancel you, but then once you're, it's amazing how they'll cancel you and then praise you. Like, it's funny like that. Or we know they'll praise you and cancel you because they praise Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they crucified him, crucify, crucify. So we know they can praise you and cancel you, crucify you. But we've also seen in the world that, you know, when you have a steady, steady path of being faithful and consistent in your character and your walk, in being a godly leader, it builds equity. It builds wealth that's like, almost like, it sounds silly, but like in Star Wars, it's like Jedi wealth. It's just like, it's like this, you have this Jedi power. You have this, you have this intangible people can't see or explain, but you have it. So they can counsel you, but it didn't cancel you because you can't counsel the kingdom of God in a person's life. And then lo and behold, the person that can become canceled can become the hero. We're going to see that with Jephna coming up in the book of Judges. He was canceled by everybody, but when they need to deliver, who they call for? Jephna. That's who they call for. The son of a harlot. They cast him out of the family inheritance because he was the son of a harlot, half-brother. But when they needed to deliver, they, call, they called him in. He's like, oh, you calling me now, huh? You texting me now? Come deliver you? You guys counseled me. Remember when the estate was divided? And we sat in the law office? And you guys told me I got nothing and told me to beat it? And now you call me to deliver the entire nation? But you see, that's how it works sometimes. We stay in our lane. We stay true to the Lord. We don't let society or other people determine the convictions and character of our personal life and who we are in secret and who we are in public. And if we're canceled because of that at one time, we might be delivered another time. If not, we all stand, you'll stand really well in the day of Christ Jesus. She also said in verse 9 related to this, that my heart is with the rulers of Israel who offer themselves willingly with the people. So we know that that leadership is to be servant leadership, that we're with the people. Isn't that what we love with leadership? Don't you just love it when, like, like people respect it, like, when you get in the trenches with them and you, you, you do the dirty work with them. People like that. People don't like bosses that are disengaged and just tell people what to do. They, they like people, they like leadership that shows them, leading is leading, it shows them how to do it, to be in the trenches. When Pastor Chuck used to do construction work, he'd rally all the men to, to do volunteer work up at Green Valley or whatever, but, you know, he'd be the first one there, and he'd be hammering nails, and he'd be leading the way, and he wasn't ever asking anyone to do anything in the name of Jesus voluntarily that he himself wasn't willing to do. 
And that's very important. There's a lot to be said for that. Pastor Chuck expected people to show up on time at work, by the way. And I guarantee you, when I did, he was always there. And when I didn't, he was already there. You know, it's cool. Like, he'd let you, if you want to show up a little bit late with your cup of coffee from Starbucks, he'd let you, he'd let you do that. Because he saw the big boss as being Jesus, not him. So that's between you and the Lord. So, and if you don't get that in 2020, 2004, you're probably going to have to figure that out by 2014. Because you want to figure that out before you step into eternity. You want to figure that out before you step into eternity. In the trenches. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offer themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. With the people. That's how we lead in the body of Christ. That's how we lead the world. So people, you know, so funny about like Mother Teresa, for example, and, you know, she's Catholic, whatever. I don't even really know that much about all that, except she believed Jesus is the Son of God. That works for me in this timeline, in this relation. But she took care of lepers for decades in India. Amy Carmichael rescued little preteen girls that were in sex trafficking. She rescued them and risked her life for them. Her, a woman who never knew intimacy with a man, spent decades of her life rescuing little girls who were being raped by men. At the same time, Mother Teresa was in Calcutta, Wiping the wounds of lepers. At the same time, they shared the planet. Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize. Amy Carmichael was hated by most of the body of Christ for her strong writings that she wrote back to the church about not being superficial but being real. Either way, though, in the trenches, when the leaders willingly offer themselves with the people, that's the body of Christ. That's leadership in the church for us tonight. We want to be those leaders. Now, we also see here how Deborah's uh, song and prophecy inspires the people. Verse 13 through 18, she talks about the survivors came down. <laughs> Just as an interesting term, the survivors came down and, and the Lord came down for me against the mighty. The survivors, it's like, it's almost like, like, not to put too much into this, but like, when you think what we've been through in the last two years, it's like, who's left? You know, the survivors. Like, you know, this is who we are. This is the body of Christ. On Monday, will be the body of Christ November 1st, 2021. It's who we are. And all that we're facing, from globalist stuff to governmental stuff to state stuff, local, whatever, it's like, you know what? Don't you feel like a survivor? I mean, like, I feel like a survivor, but it's not over. In fact, it may just be beginning. God always has a remnant. He never forsakes his people. God always has a remnant. I want to be like, if I lived in Texas in like 1830, whatever, man, I want to be at the Alamo. I would want to be at the Alamo. Like, you only live once, and you can only die once, man. Die for something with conviction and character. You only live once, and so few people actually really live. Wide and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and, few, and many go thereby. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereby is death. Do you realize that most people never truly live? Because wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go thereby. Do you realize that narrow is the way that leads to life, and few enter thereby? Very few people truly live life. Live life, WG. All in with Jesus. 
Be the remnant with Jesus. Be the survivors with Jesus. Cancer survivors, uh, divorce survivors, accident survivors. Be the survivor with Jesus. Abandonment survivors, rape survivors. Be the survivors. Because the God of all comfort comforts us that we might comfort others. So he takes any evil and makes it for good that we can be a testimony of a survivor and inspire other survivors. Be the survivor of severe persecution. Be the survivor of severe theft. Be the survivor of severe slander. Because God is true to his people. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. All day long we're given up to as like sheep to the slaughter. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8. So the survivors came together, and the Lord came down. And it says here, it mentions some of the tribes or portions of the tribes. So it says that, that uh, the Benjamites came down, the rulers from Machir came down, from Zebulun. These are these northern, northern tribes. The recruiter staff. So the Zebulunites not only came down, they came to the recruiter staff. Recruiter staff. They were firing people up, like, let's go. Let's go. They didn't just come down like, they're grabbing people, hey, let's go. God's going to give us a great victory. Let's go, let's go, let's go. My dad was a Marine Corps recruiter. My dad met my mom in Cleveland, Ohio, when he was stationed there at the Korean War. He was a Marine Corps recruiter. It was a lot of fun. He said he had met all these wonderful people being a Marine Corps recruiter. He worked with the Army and these other people, and he'd go all over Ohio and visit different parts of Ohio because it was like his district for recruiting people in the Marine Corps, and he, he really enjoyed it. And he met my mom, Diane. He always says the dress blues is what won Diane to him. She just loved him in those dress blues. You know, you military-wise maybe understand that or that background. But he's a recruiter. When he was in Guam, when we lived in Guam, my dad was in charge of recruiting Guamanians uh, for the Vietnam War. I've shared this before, but the first Guamanian killed in the Vietnam War, my dad had to go to the house and tell them that their son was killed. And he chokes up when he tells the story, even to this day, how hard that would be. That was part of being a Marine Corps recruiter. He recruited him, and then one came home in a box, and he had to go to the front door and tell them that their son had died in the Vietnam War. Then my dad almost got killed in the Vietnam War being shot in a helicopter, Purple Heart survivor. But he's a recruiter. We're recruiters. We're recruiting people for heaven. We're like Pilgrim's Progress. Christian and his wife are inviting people to come with us to the celestial city. We're recruiting people. We're recruiting people. We're recruiting by our words, by our actions, by our reactions, what we say, what we don't say, and what we do. Every day we're salt and light for Jesus Christ, and we're a witness for Christ. The book of Acts really is 28 chapters of recruiting humanity to be saved and to live abundant life that Jesus promised the apostles. From the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching... Chapter 3, Peter's preaching, repent, so times of refreshing can come. Paul getting saved, Saul becoming Paul. What are they doing? They're going to Thessalonica, they're going to Berea. What are they doing? They're recruiting. They are preaching the gospel, and they're inviting people to be a part of the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ. They're inviting people to put Jesus over Caesar as God, which is what got them in trouble. They're inviting him to a higher kingdom, a greater citizenship. Roman citizenship was great for Paul the Apostle. Heavenly citizenship is great if you're a slave in the Roman Empire because 25% of all people in the Roman Empire were slaves. We're recruiting in 2021. 
Now, we can't win everybody. We might not even win anybody, but we sure can obey the Lord. And we can be faithful to be who we're meant to be in Christ Jesus. And we're salt and light. And to some people, it's just like casting pearls before swine. We covered that in the Sermon, in the sermon on the Mount. Still, though, when leaders lead, we're recruiting. Parents, you're recruiting your children to walk with the Lord. Parents, you're recruiting your children. You're trying to win them. Grandparents, we're trying to win our, our grandkids to walk with the Lord. This last trip when the grandkids came out, I was like, Lord, what can I do to have a greater impact? Lord's like, pray more when the grand, you know, like, get it more in the DNA. Get it more in the DNA when you're together that you pray when these grandkids are around. Be sharper. Don't be distracted. When there's a quick time out, pray. Get my thoughts on the situation. And I definitely did better this time than last time. Our grandkids aren't just there for us to enjoy. They're there for us to direct toward the Lord. It's a second chance to raise children. In a way. So they had the recruiter's staff. They all rallied under Barak. It says they're under his commander, under his feet. That's amazing. Barak's like, I'm not going if Deborah doesn't go, but the whole army is under him, verse 15. And then we see this. They had great resolve of heart. Resolve with they came with great resolve. Great resolve of heart means like you, you've thought it through and you have passion and purpose and, you know, as they say, you're on a mission or you're intentional, but whatever word you want to use, it means that you have resolve of heart that this is just the way it is and you're not going to surrender this. Resolve of heart means no. It means Daniel's not going to eat the king's delicacies in book of Daniel chapter 1. It means that Esther's going to go in and risk her life to save her people. Come hell or high water. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. Have everyone praying fast for me, but I'm going in. That's resolve of heart. Resolve of heart is if this costs me my job, it costs me my job. Resolve of heart is like, this is a hill I'm willing to die on. That's resolve of heart. This is my conviction. Speaking of which, I'm walking the neighborhood yesterday, and I see my good friend Roger, who goes to the Four Square Church over here, Hope Chapel on uh, Lake Street there, you know, Indianapolis and Lake. I used to speak there when Christian Surfers, uh, when the Surfers Chapel was there. But Roger just loves me, and he loved Pastor Chuck, and he's Four Square, because Chuck was originally Four Square. But um, we, we were just talking about the kingdom and the church in 2021. He's older. He's like 80-ish. But he says, hey, you know what, October 31st is, and I'm like, well, yeah, I do. Like, my least favorite day on the calendar. November 1st is my favorite day, because we're past Halloween. And he says, well, don't you know, on October 31st, we celebrate Martin, Luther, Martin Luther's, uh, you know, 90, 95 thesis on the door of Wittenberg. I'm like, how could I not know that? But if you're going to get school, it's always good from someone older, right? So I'm like, wow. And he goes, you know what his three tenets were? And I go, well, I know, soul of faith. Sola Scriptura. I don't know the other one. He goes, congregational singing. Wait. You're telling me that the three pillars of Martin Luther King taking on the Catholic Church, the most powerful entity on planet Earth in the 1500s, was you're saved only by faith through Jesus in Jesus Christ. The scriptures are the final authority, not the Pope. And congregational singing is the highest thing in the land. I'm like, well, I'll be. Remember last year? 
when I said no one tells me we don't sing in the church? I don't care if Joe Biden shows up here with Donald Trump and they tell me I can't sing in the church. We're singing in the church because Jesus is Lord of the church. And I was going to die on that hill, and I'll still die on that hill because they sang to the Lord in the Old Testament. They sang to the Lord. Jesus sang. They sang to the Lord in the New Testament, and they sing to the Lord in eternity. And no one tells the bride of Christ she can't sing to her groom, Jesus Christ. And I don't care who you are, and I don't care what you do to me. I'm singing in a prison. I'm singing. I don't care. That was the hill. I said, I'll die on this hill. I'll try and figure out the rest of these silly things or serious things or whatever they are in between. But singing in the church, that's holy ground. Don't come in here and play that game with us. That's whole, this is holy ground. And every church that tried to play that game, they look pretty silly trying to play that game. I don't know, we lost some people for singing in the church. But it's probably good. Because you're going to leave the church for singing in the church because you think Caesar, who moves the goalpost every month, is a higher authority than singing to Jesus in the church, then you probably should be at a different church. I'm certainly not the pastor you're looking for in 2020. Great resolve of heart. You need to know. See, I didn't, I didn't take strong stands on these other things. It's like, I don't know. They say the masks don't work. Then they tell us they do work. And like, I don't even know. They say this mask works. That mask doesn't work. Like, I don't even know. Fred's got a handkerchief. Does this thing work? I don't know. He just pulls it up, pulls it down. I don't know. I have no great resolve of heart over something like that because I don't know. But singing to Jesus in the church, uh, that I do know. Like surfing pipeline. That I know. You see, that's resolve of heart. And in 2021, we have to have resolve of heart. We need to know what hills are the hill of the church. And, you know, one man it seems one day, another, another. That's fine. And we're all trying to figure it out. But what's holy is holy. I don't take unholy things and try and make them holy in that sense. But I'm not going to let the world come in and tell me what's holy or not holy. That's the difference. So great resolve of heart. And then finally, it says great searching of heart. They search their hearts. And I feel like the last year and a half have caused me, has caused me to search my heart. Like, what's my motive? Like, why am I, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what am I doing? Why am I a pastor? What kind of husband am I? Like, what kind of dad am I? What, what, what's legalism? What's liberty? Like, why do you even say stuff like that from the pulpit? Don't do that anymore. It's, it's a harder edit. It takes more time. Just don't even say that next time. Just filter it. Like, searching of heart. I love these people. Searching of heart, like, why do they leave? I don't know. A lot of people left a lot of places. I don't know. Like, searching of heart is like when you, in the secret and the quiet place with the Lord. It's like Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know me. Try me and know my way. Like, that's searching of heart. These people went to war against 900 chariots with no weapons, essentially. I don't know how they got their weapons. And they did so with passion of recruiting others to do so, led by Deborah, led by Barak. They went for it. They were all in. They had the godly leaders leading. Barak was in the trenches with them. He was as terrified as all of them. And they went for it. They purposed in their heart, if we live, we live. If we die, we die. Like Esther, like Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego in the fire, our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, we are certainly not going to bow down to you 
and they had the resolve of heart, the searching of heart. They were all in it. It says, then Zebulun, who jeopardized his life, Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. That's who we want to be in Jesus' name in autumn of 2021. Zebulun is a people who jeopardize their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also. See, once you have resolve of heart and you have searching of heart, you just come to a peace with who you are with your Savior, Jesus Christ, if he's your Savior. You just come to a peace with, like, you know, like it's kind of like when you're facing a terminal illness. You know, it's like, hey, I'm okay with this. We're going to try the chemo. We're going to try the radiation. You just, you just come to a peace with things. I spoke what I need to say, and they're going to do what they're going to do. You, just, you, did the, you gave good counsel. They didn't heed it. You know, you did, you did the best you could. And you just, it's you and Jesus. See, the, the searching of heart is ultimately you and Jesus. It's a place where no one else can go. Because there's things about you that only you know. There's things about me only I know. And the person next to you. Only God knows. And that's searching of heart. And you just come to a place like, you know what? I'm a woman. I'm a man. I've had success. I've had failure. I make good decisions. I make bad decisions. I'm saved by grace. I'm trying to go forth as best I can. I'm going to stand on this hill. If I die, I die. If I live, I live. That's, that's what it comes down to. If we lose everything, we lose everything. But I'll tell you what, like it says in Proverbs, you know, herbs at a table with peace is a lot better than the fatted calf at a table of strife. I'd rather be at a, the table of herbs with Jesus Christ and peace with people I love than to be at a table with fatted calf and playing some game that people are making me play to eat the, eat the meat. So we just, man, there's the, when leaders lead and they get in there with the people, then the people are inspired. And the people, the survivors, they rise up and they, they're like, yeah, let's recruit. Let's go. Let's go. We'll figure it out with great resolve of heart, great searching of heart. And they, they jeopardize their lives. This is the body of Christ. This is the church in the book of Acts. This is the church during communism and during the Iron Curtain days. This is the church right now in China. This is who we are. We love our enemies, we're slandered, we're attacked. This world's never going to be our home. And we're just going to let our light shine. And we're not going to let people take our joy. You can't let people take your joy. You can't go to your son's wedding and be upset about something going on somewhere else you have no control over. That's so foolish. Like, that's the, like what could be worse than that? Like, just block, just block out the noise. Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. He spoke these things that our joy would be full. So WG, just a reminder tonight, live abundant life and live with joy. Yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. So resolve of heart, searching of heart, but just do the best we can with what's entrusted to us. Pray for people and give good counsel and show good counsel and let it rip. You know, you just... You do the best you can. And I love verse 31, his closing thought. Let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. That's who we are. The church loves Jesus because he died for us and he loves us. So I just close with this thought that like, this this final thought from Deborah is so powerful. The, The closing of her song, let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. That's who God wants us to be, the church, in 2021, looking toward 2022. That people can see that love of Christ shining in us. We're the light of the world. And that we love him and he loves us. And we're like the sun in full strength. 
that glorious sunrise. That's who the church is. So let's shine. Let's not ignore the realities, but let's enjoy the journey. And uh, let's lead and be inspired and inspire.